listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. I have a serious case of the Tuesdays today. Not a Monday, but the Tuesdays. And I, this is how I define the Tuesday. The Tuesday is the feeling where you have where it's just, it feels like it's been crappy for a long time already, and it's just going to be crappy for as far as the eye can see. That's a Tuesday. That's a, and can, when is our long civic nightmare with Chair Girl finally going to end? When, seriously, when can we put this thing behind us? When can we just fold up the chair and put it in the corner and just walk away? Did you see the news? I, you heard in the news that the thing's been put over and we got another delay. But here, here's the other thing that happened in court before that development. The prosecutor came in with a shrink-wrapped uh, chair, and we believe it is the chair in question. If in the chair she cannot sit, you must acquit. Is that what we've come to? This chair thing is ridiculous, and the more I see the obsession that we all seem to have with this young lady and the video and the whole thing, the more I think to myself, maybe we do need royals to move here because maybe we need somebody else to just hound around the streets and, and, you know, and, and look at, well, what is she wearing? Because you know people are looking at that today, the video of Ms. Zoe going in and out of court. By the way, she was wearing a three-quarter length black jacket with a fur trim, wraparound black sunglasses. Not that I was noticing, but I noticed. We got lots to talk about today, and I'm hoping you're going to help me out. You're going to help me get some perspective on a couple of these big stories we have today at 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. I'm just told now that the lawyer for... Chair, chair girl. We just call her that. Like, this is the other thing. We've just come to a point where we just don't even say her name. Marcella Zoya's lawyer is speaking outside of court right now. Let's go to that. I'm available as of yesterday. I did, unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to review it with her last night. And so today, when it was mentioned, uh, she indicated that she did not post her, this video, her video, toss in the chair to Snapchat. Toss in the and chair. That is the issue. So, this now becomes what we refer to as a gardener hearing, and the onus is on the Crown to prove it. That is why the matter went over. What will happen on February 7th at that hearing? The Crown has to call a witness or witnesses. We heard in the court they said that they have one witness, so they will call this witness, whoever that person is right now. I think I know who it is. And uh, there will be a decision that will be made. They will call a witness, they will examine, I will cross-examine the witness, and then it's up to her honour to decide whether or not the Crown has been able to prove Ms. Zoya posted that. Uh, the reason that the Crown feels that this is important is because it would be an aggravating uh, a feature, an aggravating circumstance that would assist the Crown in sentencing. And that's why they want to post it. I mean, if, she, if she didn't post this video, as she says, do you think uh, she should still not serve any time in jail? I'm saying she should not serve any time in jail regardless. Uh, it's been my position all along. Everybody knows that in the press. I think that she should get a suspended sentence. That has been my position, and that remains my position. Did she post the video? Did your client post the video? Anywhere. What I can indicate is that the Crown specifically states she posted the video to Snapchat. My client is firm that she did not post the video to Snapchat. That is my position. That is our position. That's all we're saying at this time. So she shared it with someone, and then someone else posted it? Is that what happened? She took the video and shared it? 
uh, all I'm saying, you have the video. Everybody has the video on the press, right? So you could see, I mean, it's clear that she is not holding any cell phone, any camera, right? That a video would be taken. She is the one tossing a chair. So it's, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's interesting. How could she be taking the video from the perspective and the angles that we see on the video. So the Crown says that she posted it. To be fair, I've had many pictures taken of me. We all have who somebody hands us the phone and then we post it to our own accounts. That not holding the phone doesn't seem like a reasonable defense of the fact that she didn't do it. No, there's there's going to be a lot more to it than that. But you have to remember, it's the Crown's onus. The Crown has to prove this, right? So it's up to the Crown. If they prove it, then that's, you know, that's an aggravating factor that will go before the judge. If the Crown cannot prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, then it uh, errs to our benefit. But Greg, just, so is it your position that she never posted the video at any time on any channel? The Crown's position, once again, is that she posted it to Snapchat. Our position is she did not. Is your position that she didn't post it anywhere? Once again, I reiterate what I stated. She did not post it to Snapchat. So your position is that somebody else videoed her and then posted the video? She did not post it to Snapchat. So, Mr. Wesley, the question then is, how concerned are you that this witness is coming forward? How could this affect her sentencing of you asking for no jail time with the Crown pushing for jail time? Are you, are you concerned this could sway it the other way? Potentially. If it's, it's an aggravating, definitely if the Crown can prove it's an aggravating factor. Um, but, I mean, this is something that we always knew. As, you know, as the Crown said... They thought this was non-contentious, but it is contentious, right? Unfortunately, we only got it today. It's, it's just another factor that we all have to take in consideration. More importantly, that her honor has to take in consideration. You're listening to Greg Leslie, who is the lawyer for Marcella Zoya, who her trial was put over and sentencing has now been put over. Not the trial is being put over, but sentencing rather has been put over until next month because they're trying to figure out who posted the video. And you heard a little bit of that back and forth, which sort of meandered from the just kind of stupid to just right into the ludicrous, which is, you know, well, you can see she's holding a chair. She can't post it to Snapchat. And then the other thing is, you know, him is like, well, I can categorically tell you that my client did not post the video to Snapchat. TikTok, though, that's a different matter. I mean, you know, it just seems to be all kinds of wiggle room there. Interesting, though, that, that just actually saying, well, I posted it myself is an aggravated feature, as if as if throwing a chair off a balcony down to a you know, busy road with people below, possibly, you know, causing injury, damage, death. It's like, well, that's bad. But then you put it, wait a minute, then you put it on Facebook. Well, now that is truly outrageous. All right, we, we don't have a whole lot of time now because uh, Chair Girl, again, has taken up all of our time and attention. Again, it's a case of the Tuesdays. The thing just never goes away. just keeps on going. If it was here yesterday, it's going to be here tomorrow. That's the case of the Tuesdays right there. The story that uh, I want to talk a little bit about real quick, if we can, is this whole go train parking situation. This is from the Globe and Mail, where Oliver Moore has reported that Go has uh, uh, plans in place to very quickly start pri- uh, charging for parking spaces. And then Anne-Marie Akins, this is so 2020 now, Anne-Marie Akins, who will not come on the radio stations, turned us down, she's with Metrolink, she turned us down for an actual interview, but uh, just went on Twitter. Just pulled a Trump. So I was going to tweet my way through this. 
we are studying at this point how to utilize paid preserved parking for more free spaces. This is Anne Marie Aitkins from Metrolinks writing on Twitter. Nothing is happening immediately. A plan has not been approved. Our study continues along with piloting solutions, with working with municipality support customers to get stations other ways, such as local transit, biking, walking, ride sharing, and carpooling. Ride go, uh, go ridership is increasing. That's good, very good. But unfortunately, go parking is at capacity at a quarter of our stations. So that is the response from Anne-Marie Aikens of Metrolinx to reports that Go Transit is about to start charging a lot more for parking. There are a number of free parking spaces. You can do some reserved spaces now. I was just looking this up today. You pay 100 bucks a month and you get yourself a reserved spot. You know, but that's for the one percenters, right? That's one for the one percenters. But this, I found this fascinating. Do you know that 13% of riders travel less than a kilometer to go to a Go Rail station? But only 18% of passengers arrive by foot, transit, bicycle, meaning that most people who live right around a go station are just driving there, short distance, driving. And so it, 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 is, that, is that smart? And well, people who live near go stations are going to tell you, like you live in Oakville, you live in Burlington. I grew up in Burlington. I know what the transit's like in Burlington. It's like, well, what's my option? Of course I'm going to drive there. What, you want me to drive all the way to Toronto? I thought the whole idea was I wasn't going to do that. So now you're going to charge me to do this? It's just another incentive to get in my car and drive the whole time. You know, do I really want to cram myself like sardines in on the go train? Bad enough, you can't get a parking space half the time. Here's, I love, I love this. This is from a Metrolink study that shows that the 2015 access levels, so this is the actual access levels. This is how people get to go stations. This is what this says. So 8.5% of riders get there on their feet. 8.5% get their transit. 1% cycle. 1%. Where are my cyclists at? Where are you at? 1%. Pick up, drop off. Sometimes called the kiss and ride. I say that to my wife every time I come into one of the dropper offs. This is the kiss and ride, says right there. Kiss and ride, 15%. Carpool passengers, no kissing and riding. 4.5%. And look at this number. Drive and park, 62%. 62% of people who take GO trains drive and park at the stations. What Metrolink says is by 2031, they want to get that to 50-50. I'm going to say good luck on that. I'm also going to say, if the Metrolinx goes ahead and puts this in place, you're going to drive a lot more people onto the highways. Because even a couple of bucks, just a couple of bucks, one way or another, is enough to have people say, you know what, maybe I will just listen to that Alan Carter radio program on my drive into work. Maybe I'll just do that. We're back in a moment. Man, is it Tuesday. It is such a Tuesday. The crappy things that were happening yesterday are happening today and will continue on until tomorrow. That's just, it's, I have a case of the Tuesdays. Tuesdays are tough on a lot of people. And here's one of these stories that comes out and you just think to yourself, what is going on with the civic leadership in the city in terms of planning? This is a story about a homeowner in Parkdale that wanted to put a front pad parking on his home and said, well, I'm, I'm going to get a, an e-vehicle. I'm going to get an electric vehicle. I love the fact that in the newspaper story, the, the story, it just it talks about having a Tesla. It's a Tesla. 
because that gets people's back up right away. All right, let's just take out the brand for a moment. This gentleman wants to put an e-charging station in his front pad parking, and initially he was turned down, and then a Toronto local appeal body late last month overruled the City Committee of Adjustments' refusal, and now this parking pad on Springhurst Avenue can now go ahead as part of a home renovation. And there is concern from some city councillors that this is a loophole and that it could mean that all of a sudden everybody's paving their front yard to put in parking because they're going to put in an EV charging station. But wait a second. Aren't we supposed to be trying to save the environment and switch to non-fossil fuel burning vehicles? Isn't that something we're supposed to do? But yet we can't get permission to be able to put a parking pad in with... An EV station? Because what? Because why? Helping me try and figure out all of this out is a regular guest on this program, Toronto City Councillor Brad Bradford. Brad, thanks so much for calling in. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. You've talked in the past, you've had a proposal yourself, that uh, if you are putting in a charging station, you should be at least, if not entirely greenlit, at least considered to be able to put a parking pad in. Tell me about that. Well, that's right. Uh, This was a motion I brought back to uh, Community Council in October. And uh, effectively, what I was saying was, you know, the the parking pad requirements are very challenging in this city. Uh, We certainly don't make it easy to to get one. But if we are going to approve it, uh, it's the additional requirement to put in EV charging infrastructure. And the fact that we don't provide people a a path to compliance means that people look for loopholes. And, and, you know, they go to the Committee of Adjustment. uh, it, It escalates to the LPAT, which is what the case uh, that we had here. And then we actually have less control over the process. So people take an ideological view to parking pads instead of being practical and pragmatic. And then we have people looking for a backdoor and uh, we don't get good outcomes. I'll tell two quick stories about, uh, you know, my time living in the east side of the city. My first home in East York, I was able to get a permit. I was able to put a parking pad in. It was tough. There was a lot of hoops to jump through, but it caused the property value to jump up significantly when I went to sell it, so that was positive. And then I was renting a home in East York, the last home I was in, it was a rental, and after I moved out, the homeowner decided to do the same thing, but did not go through all of the hoops, jump all through the hoops, and now it sits there as a just kind of, you know, part, you know, paved over with an urn on it because he can't actually get the permission to do the curb cut. I guess the biggest concern, I think, for people is that we're just going to end up with a concrete jungle, but is there any evidence that bears that out? There's actually no evidence that would really suggest that's going to be the case. Again, as I said, Alan, it, it's not easy to get a parking pad. So, like, one of the things that, that we don't want to do is is new curb cuts because, you know, then you're taking away parking spaces on the street. But, you know, you look at the data from 2008 to where we are now, uh, you know, more than a decade later, we've actually only approved about 400 in the city of Toronto. So the idea that we're going to have a panacea of new parking pads uh, kind of flooding over and paving this uh, Toronto, it, I, I just don't think that the evidence suggests that be the case. 
Uh, at the same time, we all enthusiastically put up our hands for the climate change emergency, and, and I certainly uh, you know, voted in support that, but we're taking very few steps on the homeowner side to make it easier to provide people a path to switching to electric vehicles. So we have the goal as a policy to have you know, uh, zero combustion engines on the streets of Toronto by 2050. And yet, if I were to ask you what's the biggest barrier uh, to actually realizing and getting an electric vehicle, I think for a lot of Torontonians, it would be the fact that, hey, I don't have anywhere to charge it. So we need to take practical steps to address that. And so far, our track record on that is pretty poor. There would be a lot of homeowners who would put up their hands in a big hurry if you said, listen, as long as you put on an EV station, you can get one of these things, because they would say, well, whether or not I'm going to get an electrical charging station, the fact of the matter is convenience and resale value makes it worth my while to pay to put one of these things in. Would that be a problem, a detriment to your idea? Well, I think the reality is, you know, for for a lot of folks, if you have somewhere to charge an EV, chances are, recognizing we don't all go buy new cars every day, your next vehicle you know, if the regulations and the policies are in place, could very well be an electric vehicle. I know that would be that would be the case at our house. Um, but if you don't have anywhere to charge it, that pretty much means you're not moving in that direction. So we've had a pilot since 2012 uh, where we've been trying to install uh, charging stations in neighborhoods. I believe it was about seven. Uh, we have three of them installed since 2012, and, and none of them are working. So I, I just don't see a lot of people going out and making that switch. And if you don't have a garage or a driveway, how are you going to make that transition. And again, we have that policy goal that by 2050, we should have zero combustion engines on the street. And yet, you know, we are moving through the decades and uh, we've done very little to incentivize or encourage people to make that transition. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, you're going to scrap the vehicle that you bought five years ago and go swap it for an EV. Um, and, and in fact, that would actually not be the right environmental thing to do. The biggest impact is, is in building that vehicle and, you know, those materials, that's a sunk cost. But when that vehicle vehicle gets to the end of life, you know, we want you to look at purchasing and moving forward with an electric vehicle. You have to have the infrastructure in place and have a convenient option to be able to charge that vehicle. I'm speaking with Brad Bradford, who is a city councillor for Beaches East York area, and I live in the Beaches area as well, and I happen to know that I don't know if there is a community in Toronto that is more reluctant to embrace any kind of change. I mean, you know, the residents of the beach will chain themselves to a hedge so that it wouldn't get trimmed. Uh, What has been the reaction from your constituents to this idea? I think generally speaking, whether we're talking Beaches East York or Toronto in general, people want smart, thoughtful policy that makes sense. This is a great example of a misalignment between our policies and actually the regulations. And, and what we have is now a, uh, you know, a tribunal process of people going, being forced to go through the Committee of Adjustment and LPAT, and that's very frustrating for residents. And then the, you know, our ability to control that process you know, with respect to not removing trees or using permeable pavers, all that goes out the window as soon as it enters the tribunal system. So there is a breakdown based on you know, ideological views around parking pads that forces people out of the system and into a tribunal way. I think folks, whether they're in the beaches in East York or across the city, want want politicians and want smart policy in this city that leads to the type of outcomes that we're looking for. And again, if we want more folks using EVs, we on, on the city side need to do our part to make sure that we're providing a path to compliance. Toronto City Councilor Brad Bradford, always great having you on the program. Thanks, Brad. Been a slice. Thanks, Alan. All right, let's talk to Dave Woodard, who's down there at court. He has been uh, covering the chair girl sentencing, which has now been put over. Are you sitting or standing, Dave? 
I'm standing. I'm actually outside in this lovely weather. Really? Because I know where you and, can get uh, a nice I, I was chair. on the chair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a mangled one in court earlier uh, today. They're, they actually brought the chair. The Crown says that it's the actual chair that was tossed from the uh, 48th floor balcony uh, back in February of last year. Um, you know, the, the defense obviously uh, disputes that, but it was, uh, it was quite mangled and, uh, you know, might show up at uh, Nuit Blanche next year or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so this thing has been put over because now we're all upset over who may or may not have posted this video? That's right. So the pre-sentencing report was uh, handed in this morning. It was supposed to be uh, read last night, but they didn't have a chance to go through it. Uh, so they took a break this morning, went through the report, uh, and the... Uh, Crown had an issue with uh, one of the uh, statements that was made in the pre-sentencing report. Now, the defense claims that Marcella Zoya didn't post the video to her Snapchat. Uh, and the Crown says, well, if she did, that is an aggravating factor in sentencing. So what's happened now is the Crown wants to call forward a witness that will be able to um, either uh, prove or refute that uh, statements. Uh, then there will be submissions, the uh, the uh, se uh, the sentencing submissions given, and then we'll have a sentencing. That's going to happen February seventh. Now, uh, I didn't hear Miss Zoya say anything on her way in or her way out of court. Anybody ask her any questions? Anybody ask about Drake? Uh, we actually asked the, uh, the uh, defense lawyer, Greg Leslie, about the Drake video. Uh, he said that he thought it was ill-advised, um, Ill but he said it was harmless. Uh, and he said that he didn't think that Drake should, get, uh, should have gotten rid of her in that you know, 1.7 second frame. But he did, and that is what it is. Now, she, yeah, she didn't say anything on her way in or out of court. She did uh, look uh, visibly annoyed uh, at the reporters following her around, as one does. Uh, Greg Leslie uh, said that in the last few weeks, she's been very anxious about what's been going on. She didn't want to uh, have this uh court case go um any further than it has any longer than it has she wanted to have a decision today um but that uh, she understands why it's it uh, had to be postponed dave woodard from global news radio who has bound been down there at court today thank you so much for being on the program thank you all right when we come back on the alan carter radio program what's going on with vince vaughn did you see this vince vaughn video the Vince Vaughn video. Have you seen it? I'm going to tell you about it and ask the question, you can't even shake a guy's hand now? And then, later in the program, I need you to weigh in. How do you think Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is handling the Iran crisis? Because there's a lot of talk about it. I'm going to play some of the interview that he did with Donna Friesen and ask you the question, is the PM being prime ministerial? That's next on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Uh, welcome back to the program. I'm sorry, I was just looking for my pills. I can't find my pills anywhere. I don't know where I put my pills, and I'm worried. I'm worried because what if we get another one of these alerts and I don't have my iodine pills? Where do, Sheba, 
Did, do you have my iodine pills? Have no, you? I have your other pills. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not nice. Not nice. Here's Allison Jones from Canadian Press about the pills. Ontario Power Generation says they're normally 100 to 200 orders per month, but after an alert warning of an unspecified problem at the nuclear facility was sent in error on Sunday morning, there were 32,388 orders placed over Sunday and Monday. Ontarians who live within 50 kilometers of a nuclear facility can order the potassium iodide or KI pills through a website called preparetobesafe.ca. The pills protect the thyroid gland and reduce the risk of developing cancer if radioactive iodine is released into the air. Allison Jones, The Canadian Press, Toronto. Good. So, we just need the pills now. We just don't need to worry about, you know, you don't worry so much about escalating tensions in the Middle East and all of the rest of that. You know, the end of the world is coming from right next door. It's coming from Pickering. So there's that. That's fun. That's good. Have you seen, this is making the news on the tubes, on the YouTubes, all the Twitter tubes. So there was a big football game Monday night in New Orleans. President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump were there. They're watching LSU and Clemson battle it out. And who comes over to say hi? It's Vince Vaughn. Hey, Vince. So now there's a video of Vince sitting down. He shakes hands with the president. He makes nice. There's no audio of what was said, but it seems all very friendly. Nobody's flipping somebody else the bird. There's no anger. There's no pouting. And now the internet is outraged. Vince, how could you do it? How could you be not, how could you be polite and shake a person's hand like that? Come on. Now Vince Vaughn is a libertarian. He's friends with Rand Paul. Uh, who has he, he has supported in previous presidential bids. It's unclear who he voted for in the 2016 presidential election, whether he voted for the emails or the Russians, because those are really your choices. The emails or the Russians. Who do you vote for? Money! I, really, we're at this point now where you just can't even do that without getting called out. Remember Ellen DeGeneres was seen with Trump, and that was outrageous too? Wow. Uh, can we talk Royals? I want to play this for you. This is Justin Trudeau being asked by Donna Friesen if we're going to have to pick up the bill for the sixes. We are, are obviously supportive of their reflections, but uh, have, uh, have responsibilities in that as well. Are we going to pay the security costs for them if they come here? That is part of the reflection that needs to be, needs to be had, and, and there are discussions going on. Here's the reflection I'm having. No. I've reflected. No. You can't have any of our crazy monopoly money to pay for your security. You know what? You can go home and do that. You can stay with mom and dad. They, they'll take care of you. You can't come to Canada and ask us to pay for your security bill. That is going to make a whole lot of Republicans in a big hurry. Forget about free coffee from Tim Hortons. You thought that got people upset. Talk about paying for their security. Here's the other thing I wanted to bring up. I love this. BuzzFeed News yesterday published... A series of headlines that sort of compared the press reaction to Kate Middleton versus Meghan Markle. And it sort of talk, it comes to what we've talked about uh, with Sheba here on the program, about what the basis is for Ms. Markle really wanting to get out of Britain, and that is racism. Here's, here's this. Daily Mail, uh, not long ago pregnant Kate 
tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. And then you fast forward to the Daily Mail, hear about Meghan Markle. Why can't Meghan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting, or new age bonding? But this is the same thing. But for Kate, it's tender cradling? And for Meghan Markle, it's pride and vanity? Sheba... Does this? Do you think that this supports what you were talking about? 100%. Of course it does. I mean, she's been subjected to this since the public realized that they were even dating. And, I mean, it, to that accord, I've said a lot of things on air, and I got my first piece of hate mail. I hear this. Yes. This is great. Congratulations. I have arrived, Alan. I'm That's pr- so I'm good. Can you, can you share some of it? Oh, it was just off the cuff. It was somebody complaining that I'm off base, and it has nothing to do with race, and that's why people don't like her for other reasons. And honestly, I mean, I have yet to talk to a person of color who doesn't agree that Megan Megan has been faced with so much racism. And on, when you're a person of color, there are microaggressions that you face, you know, sometimes on a daily or weekly basis. So I can't imagine from day one stepping into Buckingham Palace, meeting his relatives, meeting meeting their circle, what she's had to endure, the the microaggressions that have been said to her while shaking her hand, while meeting her, while curtsying, she's How, how about up. this? Okay, here's this. This is what people are going to say right to what you just said. She knew all of this getting in. Why'd she say yes? Well, she admitted that in one of her interviews. I think she was in Botswana recently over the holidays, and she admitted that her friend had told her, don't do it because of what, what the British media is going to do to you, what the tabloids are going to do to you. But... Alan, as you know so well, love is blind. That is true. That is true. I can assure you this is as far <laughs> from a joke as you can get. <laughs> Sheba, thank you so much. Appreciate that. That is the latest on the Royals. When we come back, I'm going to be looking for your insight on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. How has he handled things in the last five, six days? All right, time to dig into it on this Tuesday. How has the Prime Minister handled the past couple of days, in your estimation, the crisis with Iran, the downing of the jet, his reaction both in Ottawa when he first made the announcement that there was evidence, sufficient evidence to lead him to believe that the plane had been brought down by a surface-to-air missile to the admission from Iran on Saturday and meeting with the families and all of the rest. And I'm going to play for you uh, bits of the interview from with uh, Donna Friesen, his first sit-down interview with anyone since the incident. He spoke with Donna Friesen in Vancouver, and that was aired last night on Global National. I'm going to take you through some of the key exchanges, and I really want to get your perspective on how you think the Prime Minister has handled this. And really here, I want to ask you, if you can, to try and put away maybe what how you voted in the election. If you voted against Mr. Trudeau and particularly angry and, su- and suspicious of him and and think that perhaps that he plays at being a prime minister and plays at being a world leader rather than actually being that. Try and put that aside and actually just assess what it is that has happened in the past five to six days. How has he handled that? Because remember that Canada is in a tough spot here. We don't have consular relations with Iran. We are not a world power. We are not the United States. It's not like we can threaten to retaliate in a military way. We can't, you know, 
rattle any sabers. We don't have any sabers. So what are your thoughts on how Justin Trudeau has handled things in the past couple of days? I want to begin here with the key exchange from Donna Friesen and from Justin Trudeau, where she asks him point blank about U.S. culpability in the downing of the Ukrainian jet. I think if there were no uh, tensions, if there was no uh, escalation recently in the region, uh, those uh, Canadians would be right now home with their families. Uh, this is something that happens when you have conflict and war. Innocents bear the brunt of it, and it is a reminder why all of us need to work so hard on de-escalation, on moving forward to reduce tensions and find a pathway that doesn't involve further conflict and killing. That is Justin Trudeau saying that when there are tensions, this is sort of a middle path here, very, very carefully walking between saying there is some culpability on the part of the United States in terms of what happened with the drone strike on Soleimani and the escalating tensions that therefore put Canadians in the crossfire, but not saying that. Donna now here asks a key question about what does it mean when we say we want justice? What does justice look like? Well, I think the, the, the first step uh, is uh, having this admission of responsibility by Iran, which was a very big first step, but there are lots of more uh, questions that need to be answered, and that's why it's not just about us working with Iran, it's about uh, the international community coming together. The, all the countries who lost citizens on, those, uh, on that flight uh, will be meeting on Thursday in London at Canada House. We're hosting uh, uh, those next steps as we look to uh, demanding justice. I think full admission, uh, acknowledgement of responsibility, and some form of compensation is going to have to come. We have heard reports from Iran that there have been arrests today in relation to this, but in terms of justice, a full admission of culpability, and somewhere down the line, some kind of compensation. But did you hear in there the most Canadian of responses, which is international community bringing other countries together. This is this is the position that we are in as a middle power. We simply cannot afford to act on our own in a way that says, well, we are demanding X, Y, and Z of Iran because we're not in a position to be able to demand that sort of thing. Let's go to the lines. What do you think? Is Trudeau doing a good job here? It is a very fine wine, a tightrope walk for the Prime Minister, and it would be whether it was Mr. Scheer in that position or Mr. Singh in that position or anybody who ran in the last election. Ruth Marie is on the line. Ruth, let's go to you. Is Trudeau doing a good job? No, and he's a wimp. What? I mean, <laughs> to say what he does, I, I, he has no mm, umph in his voice. Like, I could speak better than he does, and I'm doing it now. You know, use his hands, do something to show that he's ticked off. What, like jazz hands mean? Why can't we do it on our own, like you said? Because we're Canada. What do you mean, do it on our own? Well, we're a bunch of wimps, that's why. But, I mean, he's blaming Trump. But Iran, they shouldn't have been flying there. They knew that that's a dangerous place to fly. I blame it on the Iranians, and I blame it on the Ukraines having their people coming back and forth. That's a terrible place to go. 
And I've got a friend going over to India. I said, I hope you're not flying over there. And, no, he's a he's a wimp. You, you think he should be more belligerent? You think he should pour gas on this fire? That's what you that 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 doesn't sound very Canadian to me. Well, I yeah, I'm born here. Well, I'm, I'm not. Suge- I'm just saying that you know. I'm it, from it, Ireland originally. Well, okay. <laughs> well that get, that means why you're fight. That's why you're feisty, I suppose. I uh, well, I'm sick of this mealy mouth type thing, and then blaming on somebody. But I mean, you must must understand. And supposedly that missile came up and hit the pilot's place. So that must have been. Oh God. Uh, I was told by somebody. I'm out in the public of that. Yeah, all right, Rosemary, thank, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Let's go to Carson, who has a different perspective on how Trudeau is doing. Hello. Good afternoon. How, how's he handling it? I think he's handling it the best way he possibly can right now. You spoke eloquently, as you said. We are not a world power, so we can't really push any big buttons. But if, if, if Trump had the composer that Mr. Trudeau had now, we would not be in this position. Similarly, the Maple Leaf guy, people need to speak out. We're too afraid to speak out. Canadians are too afraid? I, I don't know if I, well, I follow. Across, across the board, across the board. Remember the, the Maple Leaf guy? Okay. Yeah, I'm well, he saying, spoke out. He called Trump yes, a narcissist. Yes, I understand. So I'm saying if, if Mr. Trump had, if Trump had the composer and the respect of other nations and how to deal with diplomacy, we would not be here. And he has, he's right. He can't handle it any other way. And for people to say, oh, he's this and he's that, well, put them in the presidency all day, we'll handle it. Have a good day, man. All right, Carson, thank you. I appreciate your perspective. Thank you very much. I want to play this part for you because part of the whole role for the Prime Minister here is to sort of lead the country in a national mourning. The, 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 the loss is immense in so many communities, in, in so many places in this country, feeling the loss of these people and families are grieving. And so part of the role of the Prime Minister here is going to be to lead the nation in mourning and to, to sort of be a focal point for that. Here is what he had to say about working to support the families of the victims. Working with them to uh, support these families at this time of grief uh, is uh, what we are looking for from Iran right now, along with general de-escalation of tensions, which seems to be uh, seems to be happening at least right now. Then Trudeau goes on to say that this is his number one priority. Getting answers for them is my entire focus right now, supporting them uh, through this grief, uh, rebuilding strength within the community so they can continue to contribute tremendously to this country is what I'm focused on, and uh, that is that is what is that we all need to think about. These, uh, our fellow Canadians need help, need support, and we can all look at ways where each of us can help them as best we can. So is Trudeau unifying this nation in its grief? Kyle is on the line. Kyle, do you think Trudeau is doing a good job in this crisis? Um, not really. Uh, I, I'm a bit, my opinion might be a bit extreme, but I think Trudeau should have led the charge into World War III, defending nationals who were killed for their disloyalty and by the minglings of the president in Middle Eastern affairs. Because who would, uh, who would challenge such honor? We'd knock all the borders down, have a one-world government, and change everything in a day. Oh, okay. Trudeau would solidify himself as the king of the world or whatever he wants to be. All, and all right. would be happy. Okay. All right, Kyle. I appreciate that. I don't think I understand a word of it, but I appreciate it. Doug, your thoughts. Hello? 
Doug, is Trudeau doing oh. a good job? Oh, God, no. I've uh, never been more disappointed in a prime minister in my 60 years in this great country. Really? I don't... I don't expect them to, uh, you know, we're not military strength enough. But I just what else could he do? Question. What would you What would you rather have him do? What, what should he Should he be angrier? No, because that gets you nowhere. But okay. I'd love him to answer a question once. He did. I, I played a number of the questions. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm just taking the opposite point here, and I'm just, I'm just to ask you the questions here. But, but you know, I did play some of the questions that were asked by Donna, and I, I do think, to some extent, to the best of his ability, he did try to answer them. You know, it's not an apprenticeship position he's in. He's our bloody leader, and he hasn't answered a question since the day he set into office. So at least come up and say, we're going to take care of the families. We're going to do this. We're do something. Don't Doug, I, I'm, I'm going to say that he, he is doing that. I appreciate you calling in, though. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, but I am out of time, so i got to get going. But listen, I really appreciate you calling in today, all of you who uh, called in. Some interesting perspectives there. And I, I think that as you look at how Trudeau is answering, and I, obviously, I, you know, I'm not telling you what to think one way or the other. You might think he's doing a good job. You might think he's doing a good job. But I think you have to appreciate the, the box that this country is in, that there are certain things that we simply cannot do because of who we are and the kind of power we wield in the world. Thank you so much for spending your time with me this hour. I'm back again tomorrow at noon. Until then, have a great day.